This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, reporter for NPR member station KUT in Austin, Texas, Ashley Lopez, and Dallas Morning News reporter Lauren McGowhee. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests who are here in Texas with me. Because I'm in Texas this week, in Austin, at one of my favorite public radio stations, KUT. Joined by Ashley Lopez, reporter at KUT covering politics and healthcare. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Also here with Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics. Your bio says Dallas, but you live in Austin. I do, yes. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Kind of nervous, but Oh, my God. (laughs) Nothing to be nervous about. I mean, how can you be nervous when there's a little Billy Joel in the background for you to listen to? (laughs) It it does help. Yeah. Yeah. never need a reason to play this song, but I am playing this song for a reason. Uh, this is Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. I don't know. Can you guess why I'm playing this song this week? Uh, it's part of a big cultural event happening this weekend across the country. Oh, Game of Thrones? No. <laughs> Another yeah. thing that everyone's going to watch this weekend, though. Oh, is it sports related? No. Okay. I have. What are you talking about? Oh There's my a God. movie out. Oh, this oh Avengers. Weekend. Yes. Okay. Oh, I have given up have, on superheroes. I have not yes. watched a single one of those movies. So, because everything in the universe has to be caught up in the Avengers Endgame cultural vortex, this week the cast of the Avengers uh, they released an Avengers version of We Didn't Start the Fire on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Tony Stark, Iron Man, Nick Fury has a plan. Big shot. You got Robert Downey Jr. and the crew singing Billy Joel. I mean, it's not that bad. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's what I say about these movies. (laughs) So this is part of the marketing blitz for this movie that is probably going to be one of the biggest movies of all time. There are these stories about theaters pushing other movies off of their screens just to give as much of their screens as possible to this film. It's a big deal. Are you all going to watch it? No, no. I mean, I can say 100% I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) I'll probably watch it on an airplane a year from now. But what I have found myself feeling in the last few weeks is that, like, there are these big... There are these big events in whatever we have left of the monoculture that I just Mm. keep missing. Mm. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch these comic book movies. I'm not into Star Wars, so that trailer last week didn't do anything for me. Am I missing out? Am I okay? I don't know. I think you're okay. Yeah. I think you're fine. Well, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, time for the news. We're going to start the show as we always do, asking each of my guests to describe their week of news in only three words. We're taping this Friday morning, so by the time you hear this, stuff might have changed. Ashley, you're up first. My three words? Yeah. Okay. High stakes voting. Okay. Uh, the Texas legislature, uh, among many other bills, is considering one that one, and it just already passed in the Texas Senate, um, that would raise criminal penalties for mistakes people make while voting, um, or in the case of like legislators think they're it's voter fraud. Like, what's depends. an example of the mistake? So a, a good example is like filling out a voter registration form incorrectly, saying you're a citizen when you're not. 
um, or committing any sort of other kind of major error, um, misrepresenting the facts about like who you are and and all that. Um, Right now, something like that is a class B misdemeanor. They want to make it a state jail felony, which will... A felony. Yes. So you get locked up. Yep. You will face jail time possibly, depending on what happens. And it's more than just Texas, right? There are lawmakers across the country looking at laws like this. Yeah. I mean, this has been going on for at least since Obama's first election, you know, uh, Republican legislatures have been, um, and that's his first election, have been cracking down on what they see as, you know, so-called voter fraud and creating bills aimed at either dissuading people from voting or creating penalties for people who do things that they consider to be uh, voter fraud. But what do we know about the actual existence of voter fraud in places like Texas or Arizona or Tennessee, where these laws are getting passed or about to be passed? Yeah, this is a great question because there's not data on both sides. There's not good data on both sides. I mean, huh. like, let's start with voter suppression efforts. Like, that's the way that Democrats frame these laws. Yes. Like, how can you prove that someone didn't do a thing because of a thing, right? Like, that's hard to suss <laughs> yeah, out in data. A negative. Yeah, proving a negative is really hard. And then in voter fraud, like, you know, there have been a lot of studies and there's not evidence that this is a widespread problem. So, and people forget that this is a relatively new situation we're in, because in Texas, we used to be part of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Um, You know, in 2013, the Supreme Court basically gutted a really important part of that law. And Texas was part of this group of states and and counties that had to clear anything they did related to voting and elections. They had to ask They had to ask permission because they did it. Right, because there's a history here of racial discrimination, especially when it comes to voting. And then in 2013, that changed. And so now the only way, like those things don't get vetted on the front end, it has to be worked through the courts. And courts take a long time. So before there was like a federal clearinghouse for mm-hmm. new measures mm-hmm. like these. Yeah. That's kind of been stripped. And mm-hmm. so now you just have to wait until some harm or damage happens that you can take to court. Yeah. And now the courts have changed. So who knows? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. under the Trump administration, the courts have gotten more conservative. I mean, Lauren, question for you. So seeing these type of bills percolating across the country, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if in 2020, as a Um, Like as it was in 2016, are we going to see the issue of voter fraud or voter suppression be as big as it was then? Well, I think it depends on who wins, right? (laughs) I mean, if Trump gets reelected, you know, what is he going to say about it? If a Democrat gets reelected, what is the, you know, the right going to come back and say? So, yeah, I mean, it's popular political fodder. So why stop talking about it? Because it gets people... It motivated. gets people riled up. Yeah. yeah. Lauren, you have three words? I do. Okay. Uh, it's a question. Is not a ban? I like the little neck tilt on the band. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no one, no one got to see that except yeah. you guys. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so uh, April 12th, a new policy for transgender service members in the military went into effect, a new Trump administration policy. And there has been a lot of confusion about what it actually means for real people who either oh. want to enter the military or who are currently serving in the military. And I've covered uh, LGBTQ issues for a while and transgender issues specifically, but this one entered kind of like sideways for me because there's a student here on campus at the University of Texas at Austin who, um, you know, came out and said, I'm trans. Uh, I had an ROTC scholarship. And this an ROTC, new- this is a program that college students and high right. school students take part in to get ready to go into the military. Yeah, it's like officer training. Gotcha. Um, and this trans student said, you know, I'm going to lose my scholarship to enter this officer training program because of this new policy. And really what I'm hearing is, the policy seems 
very clear, uh, like, you know, it's been written about as this is a ban on transgender troops in the military. You just, you can't become a service member if you're trans, but it all comes down to a couple of factors. Um, if you are a trans person and you have had any transitioning medical procedure, so that's like, you are automatically disqualified from entering the military. So but what if you're already there? So if you're already there and you've transitioned and you've gotten the okay from the military to do so, you can stay. So there's going to be thousands of actively serving trans service members who are going to be allowed to stay. Yes, but new people can't enlist. So the numbers might stagnate. Yeah, and there's this gray area too about people like the ROTC student I mentioned. So if you've got like one foot in the door and you're like on your way, there's a lot of questions about whether that person would have to follow or, or pass some kind of a new medical test when they enlist. So there's like multiple levels. Basically, it's really confusing for the new people. And also there's waivers, like certain yes. forces of the military have just said, nope. Yeah, well, any service, so the services are like Army, Navy, you know, all the ones you're familiar with, any of those services can give someone a total waiver from this program. So they can say, hey, you're a trans person, you don't qualify under our guidelines anymore, but we think you're so great that we're going to enlist you anyway. We just mm-hmm. don't know if they're going to end up doing that because it's so new. It is so weird to hear you talk about this because I could never imagine what it feels like to have to constantly litigate your gender with your employer, with the government. Like, I walk through the world and I'm just a dude. And like, what do people going through this feel? Yeah, the trans service members who are serving and those that are interested, they feel like they're go- we're going to lose our best and brightest unless they get this waiver that, you know, may not even be available to them and is questionable. And so I think what people are faced with now is there's some gray areas about whether they'd actually be able to enlist. But, you know, we just we just don't know. Thank you. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Lauren Magahi, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics, and Ashley Lopez, reporter at NPR member station KUT, covering politics and health care. Politics, politics, politics. All politics all day. I love it. I have three words. Okay. <laughs> was I supposed to respond? It's fine. It's fine. My three words are... Whose national conversation? Mm-hmm. You know, the phrase national conversation is thrown about all the time about all the stuff. Uh, but there was a new study out from Pew that made me ask the question, whose national conversation is leading the national conversation? Mm-hmm. So Pew, the Pew Research Center looked at who uses Twitter and who uses Twitter the most. And their findings kind of confirmed what we always knew Anyway, they found that Twitter users are younger than the rest of the country. They found that Twitter users are more likely to ID as Democrats. They found that Twitter users are more highly educated. And they found that Twitter users have higher incomes than most American adults overall. And the top 10% of Twitter users generate 80% of all American tweets. And so that just leads me asking this question in this period in which all news cycles seem to be driven by Twitter. Whose national conversation is that? Well, 
I am definitely one of those <laughs> Uber users. Yeah. So. yeah, I wonder how many of these people are journalists. Like, <laughs> oh, a ton. Like, yeah. what is the contingency of like journalist Twitter? Yeah, I mean, I would say like I, I, I think there was like a news organization that put this challenge out to their reporters. Like, don't use Twitter for a month. Like, if you're if you're huh. if you're like a politics reporter getting like trying to get themes and like threads of like the national conversation through Twitter, you're basically doing it wrong. So let's just stop doing that altogether. Yeah. And you know, I, there's a conversation going on about this in the Democratic Party too. I heard like a couple of of candidates um, mention like. Twitter's more woke than the Democratic Party. Like Twitter Democrats are like very Twitter be different. Yeah. Too woke. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So like if you're preaching to the choir of Twitter, like you're It's not the real world. It's not the real well, world. Well, and it has some really interesting implications, I think, for the twenty twenty campaign. Mm-hmm. You have all these candidates, Democratic candidates, who don't know which conversation to follow. You know, there's a conversation around Joe Biden and who he is on the internet Mm -hmm. that is entirely different than the national conversation in the real world, quote unquote, about Joe Biden. And so like for him, he's already a front runner. Does he tack to the left to make the Twitter base happy? Or does he appeal to, I don't know what some folks might consider a real or more moderate national conversation. It's hard, but it's also complicated by the fact that we have a president who Mm -hmm. governs through Twitter. Yeah. We can't not follow that. Someone responded to that Pew study with a really interesting tweet, they said, so, you know, the whole idea, like, Twitter isn't America. Um, and then someone responded to that and said, well, neither is any large city, you know, neither is yeah. Houston, and neither is LA, and neither yeah. is New York. The only like, America is all of America. Yeah, yeah, there's no way to take, like, a pure litmus test on what it means to be American, It because that's the beauty of being an American, it can mean anything. But I also felt like before Twitter, the thing that a political journalist used to do, and it was their bread and butter... You'd go to a Midwestern state, sit down in a diner, Mm -hmm. talk to someone drinking coffee, and that was your American heartland conversation. But that's also, Mm -hmm. on its own, one certain subset of America, too. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do it all, man. (laughs) You got to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe that's the problem with the question is, you know, there is no way to define it. You know, I mean, what what were your three words again? Who's who's national conversation? conversation. I mean, that maybe the national conversation needs to be that there is no one conversation. Oh, that's too complicated. I'm getting meta. I'm getting meta. No, but I mean, you know, everyone's voice is valid. It is. This is another story where it's going to be a thing for a while. Like Twitter as a driver of the national conversation is not going to that's not going to stop. Just this week, we saw Jack Dorsey, one of the higher ups Mm. at Twitter, have a sit down closed door meeting with the president. I mean, like, this is not going away. Yeah. This can't, is our reality. Can't it, though? Please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. All right, it's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about the strange fashion trend that will not quit. Those clunky, oversized, dare I say ugly, sneakers. I ask an expert why they're all the rage and how long I'll have to keep seeing them. That's after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support also comes from VSP Individual Vision Plans, offering coverage for a low monthly cost if you don't have vision coverage through an employer. You'll get access to the nation's largest network of independent doctors and hundreds of name brand frames. Plus, you can save more than $200 a year. VSP believes you deserve to see better for life for less. Discover for yourself at needvspcoverage.com. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke, I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today. We're back with a new season of Rough Translation. Yeah. And this time, we are following people who break the rules. I mean, lying is part of the business. <laughs> In my opinion, the best revenge against ISIS is to be humane. Am I supposed to punch her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New episodes every other Wednesday. Subscribe. Hello, listeners. That was my best British accent. In other news, before we get back to the show, I want to let you know about what's coming up next week. On Tuesday, I am in conversation with the comedian Shane Torres. You might not know him, but you should definitely know about his joke about celebrity chef Guy Fieri. Patton Oswalt called that joke the one joke that he wishes he could steal scot-free. Hear the story and the man behind that joke on Tuesday in your podcast feed. All right. Back to the Weekly Wrap from Austin. Back to the Weekly Wrap from Austin. That was bad, too. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests uh, as this Avengers... What is the name of the movie? Endgame? We As don't this know. Avengers Endgame weekend the takes us over. The only three people in the country not watching that movie. Well, you know, please don't send us hate mail. Yeah, <laughs> You're hearing the voices of Ashley Lopez, reporter at NPR member station KUT, covering politics and healthcare. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Also, Lauren McGahey, Dallas morning news reporter, covering Texas politics, based in Austin. Yes. Dallas or Austin, tell us. I like them both. I like oh, Dallas because gosh. I like Dallas because what you see is what you get, and it's like we are we are same with Houston. Austin is like that kid that really wants to be cool and is like <laughs> always trying to convince the cool crowd yeah. that it's cool. Yeah. yeah, Dallas is not ashamed of the big hair. Oh, absolutely. So I'm not. here for it. Yeah. Although I would take Fort Worth any day. I like it there. It's yeah. Funky. Oh, Houston anyway. all the way. Lauren, Ashley. Yes. It's springtime. About to be summertime. Which means it's that time of year where I look at all of the people younger than me walking down the streets and I see their spring and summer fashion choices and I sigh deeply. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I'm seeing that's, that I think is going to be big this summer, as it was last summer, are the so-called dad sneakers or ugly tennis shoes or clunky tennis shoes. Have you all seen them? Yeah. I didn't even know this was a thing. Oh, come on. I didn't. You haven't seen it? Well, now I've seen it and I want to like... <laughs> 
burn my eyes out. They're <laughs> terrible. Have you, not, have you not seen the Yeezy tweets? <laughs> just like want to gouge your eyes out. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot for the eyeball to take in. It's a lot for the eyeball to take in. And like, I try to not be that old millennial who is no. just finger wagging. <laughs> I want to understand the clunky tennis shoes. I want to see what it, see where it's coming from. I want to try to find some beauty in them. So I decided to devote an entire segment of this show to the question of clunky tennis shoes with a segment that we call I have so many questions. What? 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 This is a lot. This is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, I called uh, Washington Post fashion critic and fashion expert Robin Gavon to talk me through the big, ugly sneaker craze. Here's our chat. Hello, Robin. How are you? Hi. So, we're here to talk about, quote-unquote, ugly sneakers, but I want us, Robin, to just describe as accurately as we can for radio listeners exactly what we mean when we say ugly sneakers. Like, is there a way to describe them without seeing them that works? Well, I think using the term ugly is a judgment. (laughs) Yes, it is. Because one of the key designers behind this trend uh-huh. says that he doesn't consider them ugly at all. And that's Demna Vizalia, who is the designer for Balenciaga. And, you know, he started creating these sneakers, which kind of look like they have about three or four layers of sole instead yeah. of just one simple layer. Yeah. And I mean, just to underscore how big these shoes are mm-hmm. it's called the, the triple, triple s. s it's called the triple s because they took parts of three different shoes and like put them together to make one omni shoe yes it looks a little bit like if a napoleon dessert was a shoe <laughs> yes yes yeah it's just you know it's, sort of, it's a layer cake of a shoe what i find so interesting about what the clunky shoe represents and I love what you've written about this. You've said that it's kind of a, quote, giant middle finger to fashion that we're used to for women where it's, you know, heels and legs and, like, pain, you know? What women also say when they wear these clunky tennis shoes is, like, I can be beautiful and my feet don't have to hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of pragmatism that's connected to it. And um, I think it also comes from... Um, you know, a new generation of women who are coming into sort of the so-called luxury market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to use the M word. Uh, I'm going to say it's millennial. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm one of them. That it's a new generation. It's a different <laughs> mindset. Yes. Um, yes. Sort of stepping into the world of luxury um, that essentially says that the height of luxury is being comfortable. Exactly. Snaps for um, that. And the other thing is that, you know, offices today don't require the kind of formality that they did in the past. And a lot of people don't even go into offices. So the extension of your off time clothing, sort of your play clothes, now sort of merges into work clothing. Yeah. I am really intrigued about the way that class plays out in different spaces so when you look at like the Mm -hmm. rise of the clunky tennis shoe you can have designers at places like balenciaga make expensive versions of things that we could assume our dad may have worn years ago but when that kind of thing happens in the food world it's very different like when chefs take inexpensive 
dishes from certain communities and then make them fancier Mm -hmm. and more expensive, there's a bit of finger wagging. Um, I don't have an answer to this thing that I'm saying. It's just a thought. (laughs) No, you're right. And um, I mean, but I think it happens in, in fashion as well. I think it sort of depends on designer's intent, Uh, but mostly I just think it also depends on the attitude with which it's worn and embraced. Yeah. What I hear you saying is, don't let the clothes wear you. You wear the clothes. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my biggest question. And a thing that I've actually gotten into small debates about with members of my team, my editor, Jordana, she thinks that the rise of the clunky tennis shoe is all a throwback to the tennis shoes our dads used to wear, you know, decades ago. But my thesis is that actually the extreme clunky tennis shoe is something different. Because there are some of these shoes, like the Balenciaga Triple S, that have gotten so big and so clunky and so garish, it's actually not a shoe that my dad or my mom or my uncle or my auntie would wear. Um, who is right, Jordana, my editor, or me? You're right, Sam. Yes! <laughs> and the, the reason that you're right is because even when fashion reaches back to revive something, it's never exactly the same, mm. because otherwise there would be no impetus to buy the new thing. Yeah. Um, if you want the exact same thing, well, then just go to a vintage store. <laughs> and your dad, my dad certainly, would never spend $800 on a pair of sneakers. I mean, he looks askance at $100 on a pair of sneakers. Yeah. I remember my dad wearing these clunky Velcro tennis shoes back in the day. And I think they cost $20. Exactly. Um, so part of why I wanted to talk about the clunky shoe now is because I'm interested in how long it stays a trend. So, like... The Triple S kind of helped the rise of the clunky shoe in 2017. In 2018, they kind of peaked. But it's beginning to be summer. I'm seeing the kids out and about. They're still wearing these shoes. How long do I have to see these shoes, Robin? Well, it's really hard to put an expiration date on a trend. But the pendulum has really swung to the point where they can't get bigger. (laughs) And um, the only way to go is towards a sleeker sneaker or some other modification. I mean, sort of paralleling the rise of the big sneaker, there's also, you know, there's also the rise of the Birkenstock as a fashion shoe. Oh, yeah. That is still going strong because there's so many different uh, collaborations and variations that you could have on it. But with the sneaker, I do think that that's going to start to fade. Oh, this makes my heart happy because I have a pair of Birkenstocks, which I love, (laughs) which I wear with socks and no shame. Uh, And I also have a pair of quote unquote ugly shoes that are rising again, Crocs. Yes, I do. I have a pair of Crocs. And I like um, you know, I can fully support you on the Birkenstock situation. <laughs> I cannot get behind the Crocs. Okay. All right. And you know what? Crocs at one point were also on the Balenciaga runway. And <gasps> Really? Mm, yeah. Did you like those? Mm, no. <laughs> Robin, thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. All right. Take care. 
thanks again to Robin Gavon of The Washington Post. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. And I'm Sam Sanders here with Ashley Lopez from NPR member station KUT and Lauren Magahi, Dallas Morning News reporter. So we just heard a very smart person make a very strong defense of the idea, at least, of the clunky tennis shoe. Question for you after that. Would either of you actually wear these shoes? No, nah, man. I like to dress like I'm the default setting of a person. You know what I mean? Well, like, that's real. You know? That's really... Like the factory setting. I love love your self-esteem. Yeah. <laughs> no. I just like... Yeah, it's, own it, man. Yeah. Like, we're millennials really into the minimalist aesthetic for a while. Like, I really... I don't know. And they also kind of look like flotation devices. There's just too much going on. I just don't... I don't know. That's not my, that's Lauren? Not my scene. So I don't personally like how they look, but uh, I'm known to wear those big platform sneakers, like circa mm. 1995. Really? Yeah, I have a pair that actually matches the shirt. Are you I'm a club kid? Right I'm not. Um, I just really love them, <laughs> and they make me tall, and I, you know, they feel bouncy. So I feel like people should be able to wear what they want to wear if they want to wear those ugly shoes. I think they're ugly, but. I mean, I obviously will pick bigger battles than items of clothing. <laughs> but I would say, I think what like is the rub for me is that it reminds me of the '90s that were so tacky. I love the '90s. Oh, see, I dress. I yeah, everything embrace. about the '90s. I was like, we're good. I'm gonna say, NC Hammer pants. I don't think they look good on anyone. They're so but, comfortable. Like though. I said, I'll pick bigger battles than that. Time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game. Who said that? BRB. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Hey there, it's Joshua Johnson, the host of 1A. Often the news is full of hot takes and snappy comebacks, but on the Friday News Roundup, we take the time to go deep with guests who know the big stories inside out. Catch the Friday News Roundup in the 1A podcast on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two Texas guests this weekend. Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics in Austin, the state's capital. And Ashley Lopez, reporter at member station KUT covering politics and healthcare, also in Austin. I'm saying Austin a lot because I'm here in Austin right now and it's always good to be back in Texas. Yeah, no. Except for the allergies. Well, you know, such is life. You push through, you power through. It is now time for an Austin, Texas based edition of my favorite game. Who said that? The game is simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or at least get the story that I'm talking about. The winner gets nothing. Shall we? Let's do it. First quote, ready? That's because one of y'all threw a lemon at me. 
Oh, Ariana Grande. Yes. Ariana Grande, uh, one of the biggest pop stars of the moment. She headlined Coachella this year in the Southern California desert. Uh, While she was playing her set, someone threw a lemon at her, and she walked off stage and then had to come back on later to finish her song and her set. I think we have tape of her saying, don't throw lemons at me. (laughs) I feel bad for her. Stop doing that. I also thought that that was a thing that died decades ago, the throwing of the fruit. Was that like a lemonade disc? That's what I thought. thought. Lemonade Mm -hmm. being the Beyonce album. And Beyonce, even though she wasn't at Coachella, kind of still headlined Coachella because she released Uh the Netflix special about her Coachella set from the previous year. Yeah. So, I mean, Ariana got upstaged. I mean, the beehive is, you know, it's a force. But don't throw... I'm sure that Beyonce likes Ariana Grande. Yeah. And that last album from Ariana Grande, I did not like her before, but I really, really dug that album. Ariana, we're rooting for you. Yeah. Gosh. All right. You're up one, Ashley. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm never going to win this game. (laughs) Let's see what happens. (laughs) Next quote. An extremely or excessively enthusiastic and devoted fan. Tell me either who said that or what that definition is is of what does the culture call those kind of people it rhymes with fan it rhymes with fan. just start throwing out can dan man nan pan tan sand it's close to sand but adelaide Wan, stan yes stan see i'm like <laughs> right over Whoa. my head and i actually knew this word the word st- the word stan which yeah. for years on the internet has meant like an, a super fan yeah. stan was officially added to the merriam webster dictionary this week oh. a bunch of other words were added as well but stan uh officially means an extremely or excessively enthusiastic and devoted fan do I get that point because I went uh, through the alphabet? Sure. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> you but this is what's so weird. Like, everyone loves to use the word Stan on the internet to talk about themselves. But the word Stan comes from an Eminem song called Stan, which is all about uh, a super fan of Eminem's called Stan oh my who becomes a stalker. I'm not going to ask us to pull up that Eminem song, but if yeah. it was there, I would listen to it for a second. Anyways, I hope you get this, man. Hit me back. Just a chat. Truly yours. The biggest fan. Just a Stan. I did not I know that know was that. the origin of that. Yes. I should know that. So the origins of the word Stan are not at all uplifting. No. Yeah. And now we love the word Stan? Yeah. I say no, Merriam-Webster. Take it back. <laughs> Words change over time. They yeah. do, but <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the game is tied. Uh-oh. Ooh. Tied kind of. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going right. to let you have it. Thank uh-huh. you. Final <laughs> quote. Just tell me, get a keyword. As soon as I get control of the board in the first game, I'm going for the $1,000 clues whenever I have the opportunity. Jeopardy guy. Yes. There's an ice. Okay, I heard this because I heard it on NPR <laughs> oh, about man. a Jeopardy guy who has now like won more money than anyone has ever won. Like yeah. a crazy amount, like a million dollars. His name is James Holzauer. He's a Jeopardy contestant who recently won more than $1 million in just 14 games. His day job is sports betting. And so he had an interview with the New York Times recently and talked about his strategy. He was like, I apply a bunch of my sports betting techniques to this game. But he said, my my clutch rule for myself is always go for the big clues first. That's right. He said he takes big risks for yeah. big reward, which is like not what you do in Jeopardy, I guess. You, but he you does. Know. Yeah, but he does. And it works. And he wins big. Look yeah. at that. Hoping he, out a bunch of nerds on like the Jeopardy set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that that's the one I got. Yeah. I'm like, Ariana Grande? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That concludes Who Said That. Congratulations, Lauren. You get nothing. How does it feel? 
Uh, I feel amazing. Okay. Can I get a pair of those ugly shoes? Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time to end the show. As we do every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them. All week, we encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. This is Teresa. I'm currently stationed in Germany. And the best thing that happened to me all week is I got to take my six-month-old baby girl home to Colorado to meet her grandpa, Bubby, aunts and uncles, and all her cousins. Also, Sam, I want to say thanks for your show. We listen to it first thing Monday morning, and it is the best way to start our week. Hi, Sam. This is Alicia in Chicago, Illinois. And the best part of my week is that now that it's warm again, my six-month-old daughter gets to hang out and play in the grass. Hey, Sam. It's Amelia from Long Island, New York. And the best part of my week was running my first half marathon with my cousin. The best part of my week was with my husband, we got to share the news that we're expecting our first baby this October. My fiancé's visa was approved, so within a month, he'll be moving to the United States so that we can start our life together. Hi, Sam. This is Nicole. I'm from North Carolina, but currently living in Ohio. I just found out that I will be getting a Master's of Arts in Biology that will hopefully help me continue the work that I love, working for zoos and conserving wildlife. Hello, Sam. My name is Kelly, and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, the best thing that happened to me that just happened this week, um, about an hour ago, I passed my final exam for my bachelor's degree, which I have been working on for the last probably three years. Um, and I cannot wait to celebrate, sorry, with my family. <laughs> I just wanted to share. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Oh, that's such a good feeling. Yeah. Um, congratulations, Kelly. I just... The, in, the, the emotion in her voice. I hope you celebrate so much and have a great time. And I don't know you, but I'm so proud of you. Oh, my goodness. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Teresa, Alicia, Amelia, Maya, Kelsey, Nicole, and Kelly. Graduation always feels good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It always Relief. feels good. And then the student debt. Okay. 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 Just saying. Just saying. Uh, well, Thanks to both of you for being two of the best parts of my week. I enjoyed our time together. Uh, listeners, we listen to all of these that come in. Share more of them. Just email me the sound of your voice at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. We're going to go out on Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire <laughs> because we can. <laughs> Uh, if you are an Avengers super fan this weekend, I'm sure lots of you are, you can go find a cover version of this song by the Avengers cast wherever you find that stuff. Anyway, thanks to my guests again. Ashley Lopez, reporter at NPR member station KUT, covering politics and healthcare. Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics. Thanks to the entire staff of KUTX in Austin for helping us record the show here this week. We appreciate you, including David Alvarez, Todd Callahan, and Ben Philpott. Uh, this week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our editors are Alex McCall and Jordana Hochman, who may or may not wear ugly tennis shoes. Our big boss is NPR Senior VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. All right, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. Keep starting. No, don't keep starting fires. I wanted to reference the song. That was a bad reference. <laughs> That's illegal. <laughs> yeah. Till next time, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Spark Cash Plus. Terms and conditions apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. 